Gabriel Garcia Marquez's masterpiece novel, 100 Years of Solitude, begins with these three sentences. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. At that time, Macondo was a village of 20 adobe houses built on the bank of a river of clear water that ran along a bed of polished stones which were white and enormous like prehistoric eggs. The world was so recent that many things lacked names, and in order to indicate them, it was necessary to point. Magic is in the air. One's imagination is captivated by concepts of discovering ice, stones the size and color of enormous prehistoric eggs. In a world so recent, many things lacked names. These ideas, which the reader cannot assume to be literally true, begin the luminous chronicle of 100 years and seven generations of the Buendia family and Marquez's beloved country of Colombia. Gabriel Garcia Marquez won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1982. He was perhaps the most renowned in a long line of esteemed magical realism writers, which include Jose Luis Borges, Isabel Allende, and Toni Morrison. The movement is connected to many important artistic, social, political, and psychological influences since World War II, strongly impacted by Freud and his work on dreams and the unconscious. And FYI, the term is to be said coined by German art historian Franz Roth. You can use that later tonight over your dinner conversation. Sure, that'll be very interesting to somebody. <laughs> Within literature, magical realism includes ordinary and unusual elements of human existence, providing a wider representation of the possible. Magical realism expands beyond quantifiable and explainable experiences. Dreams, desires, and myths mix. Questions, explorations, answers intangibly flow together. And at times with baffling confusion, history, present, and the future are woven in gorgeous tapestry. I'm reading a short story right now and I have no idea if I'm the past or the future. Now Unitarian Universalism and especially Unitarianism have not always embraced dreams and metaphors. <laughs> At times, the tradition has rejected them intensively, almost uh, at least a hundred years before magical realism. Unitarians celebrated efforts like Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson literally taking Bibles, scissors to a Bible, and cutting out the Bible stories. If I was his 
clergy political advisor, I think I would have said, let's not do the scissors on the Bible. I think there's a different way to make that point. But I wasn't there. Uh, but, but seriously, we, we know that we're thankful that our religion continues to be strongly influenced by the Enlightenment. Uh, reason is central to how we practice religion, and it creates dynamic and healthy religion because we can integrate what we learn in the academy and civic society into what we talk about in our congregations. And that's very valuable. In Colombia now it's really interesting because there's a whole new movement of artists and authors who are becoming realists because they said we, we can't just have magic to get past the narcotraficante, guerrilla era of violence. We, we need to tell it like we need truth and we need reconciliation. So it, it's a both and, Chris. And so, and so we know, we're blessed. We, we want to embrace, our hearts and brains are wide enough. Science and psychology help us to understand the world in new ways, and we integrate them. Here, one of the best examples, the Unitarians were very strong in the 20s in backing evolution to be taught not only as a science, but in religion, in the Scopes monkey trial. But, at times, the pendulum has swung too far towards the rational, and at times we have demanded too much proof in our religion, and we have left our soulful cravings unfulfilled. So Gabriel Garcia Marquez led a literary movement which involves reality and magic, and we can continue to learn from magical realism to enrich our religious experience. And, and I know an example here which is excellent, your summer movie sermon series which I know I didn't follow that. I'm real sorry about that. I love, I love the movies. But I think Ken and you, that's a brilliant thing. To, it's connected with magical realism of, to bring the movies into a religious and spiritual life. Marquez wrote an autobiography, Vivir para contarla. They translated it to say, Living to tell the tale. And for those who love the master, this book provides exciting views into the mind and experiences of this man who gave so many gifts to the world. He reflects on his understanding good fiction and is true with most human beings, seemingly small vignettes from growing up illustrate the development of his worldview. When his family was living on the Caribbean coast of Columbia, his father was a doctor, and one day a highly distraught man, believing that someone had cursed him by placing a monkey in his abdomen, came to his father for medical help. And Marquez's father felt that the case was beyond his own medical capacities. He referred the man down to a surgeon who did not find the monkey but did find a formless monstrosity with a life of its own. Reflecting back in adulthood, the possible medical questions were not what captivated Gabriel. The significant learning for him was that the patient was convinced that the curse originated in the only location 
where it could be also removed. In fact, everyone in that region at that time knew that La Sierpe was a magical center of curses and blessings. And this place could only be reached by traveling through steaming bogs. And the people of Marquesa's hometown continually told stories about the land of La Sierpe, which contained snakes wearing golden bells and buried treasures and a limitless expanse hanging with phosphorescent anemones. The place was real. Another story comes from Gabriel's young adulthood. He was riding a train when a fawn, half man, half animal, came aboard the train as a passenger, boarding as if it were no big deal. Nobody else on the train seemed to notice anything out of the norm, but Gabrielle saw the horns coming out of his head and smelled the stink of the pelt. We got home, Gabrielle couldn't sleep. He woke up his roommate to tell him about the vision, and reflecting back from adulthood, Gabrielle said, in the end, the essential thing for me was not if the fawn was real, but that I had lived the experience as if he were. And for the same reason, real or dreamed, it was not legitimate to consider this as a bewitchment of the imagination, but as a marvelous experience in my life. What are the marvelous experiences in your life? You don't have to prove that they happened down at a science lab at University of Pennsylvania. These types of experiences, lived experiences, help to explain how Marquez wrote 100 Years of Solitude, which is known as a giant metaphor encoding much of the entire history of the Americas. Marquez plays with images in a way that makes the reader think he might be starting off where the book of Genesis left off. Discovering ice. Founding a town deep in the swamps of Colombia, the Buendia family go back and forth between the known and the mysterious. Marquez completed the book in 1967 when he and others had strong criticisms of modernization. And in the book, modernization brings plagues of dead birds falling from the sky, plagues of insomnia, the gorgeous stones which looked like prehistoric eggs are crushed into dust, and militarization brings the murders of many of the Buendia men and the death of 3,000 civilians in one massacre. Throughout his writing, Markels tells many stories where people go up to heaven and angels come down. We see this in a very old man with enormous wings, this rather decrepit old man, his face down in the mud with his wings. Palayo and Elisenda are ambivalent. They don't know whether this angel came to bring blessings or to harm. And although their sick child immediately reduces his fever and regains his appetite, they still lock up the angel in the chicken coop, and then the story goes on where we left off. They make a spectacle of him. They actually torture him, 
and try and make a little circus show out of him charging the viewers in the town. The angel shows miraculous patience in the end, barely garners the energy to fly away, but he does. And Marquez allows the reader to interpret his or her own meanings of the stories. With fallen angel, perhaps we are to recognize that we see the holy in each other every day, and sometimes we do not treat each other with adequate love and respect. But you might have a different interpretation. I'd love to hear your opinion. In his autobiography, Marquez writes about growing up as a reader and how he came to understand that the best books are those which helped him to discover worlds he never knew existed within himself. The best books are those which helped him to discover worlds he never knew already existed within himself. So in other words, the plagues, the struggle with the ancient and the modern, the wrestling with the good and the evil, are all worlds existing within the reader, existing within me, existing within you. We have different stories that describe these worlds. And Marquez lived to tell the tales which helped us as individuals and communities to discover and see our worlds in new ways. And he believed everyone, universal faith, has the capacity to do the same. As a very young reporter, Marquez loved living in Bogota for many reasons. One factor was that Bogota was a world dominated by poets. And Marquez says, we not only believed in poetry and would have died for it, but we also knew with certainty, as Luis Cardosa y Aragón wrote, poetry is the only concrete proof of the existence of man. The world belonged to the poets, he said, in those days, and it was wonderful. Well, even with our emphasis as Unitarian Universalists on reason and our, theor our theological roots have deep connections with this type of insight as well. The highly influential Unitarian thinker Ralph Waldo Emerson and Marquez arrived at the same conclusions about 125 years apart from each other. Emerson liked to say that the world itself is the great poem. The world itself is the great poem. In his 1844 essay, The Poet, Emerson wrote, The secret of the universe is profound. But who or what shall be our interpreter, we know not. For the experience of each new age requires a new confession, and the world seems always waiting for its poet. In our religious tradition, we have embraced Robert Fulgham, Joseph Campbell, E.E. E. Cummings and many feminist theologians heightening the importance of myth and stories in our religious lives. We have tried to heed the call of Langston Hughes 
who inspired us to hold fast to dreams. Because without dreams, life is like a frozen field. Hold fast to your dreams. As human beings, we're starved for narratives and stories. You know that feeling that you get when you sit down in the movie theater and you can unplug? Most nobody can bother you now and you're ready. Bring me the story. We need lyrical religion to feed our souls. We need poetic, engrossing, and mesmerizing spiritual language in our lives. As our world becomes more connected, in many ways smaller with globalization, we need more than ever to embrace and respect the stories, myths, and memories of diverse communities. Wade Davis is an ethnographer who studies indigenous folks around the world. And Davis reminds us that storytelling does change the world every single day. Every single day. He believes that hearing the stories of the world helps individuals to realize that the world into which you were born is just one model of reality. These other cultures are not failed attempts at being you. (laughs) Good point. Good point. They are unique manifestations of the human spirit. Unique manifestations of the human spirit. While Davis reports on the brilliant array of dreams, myths, and stories of people from around the world, he also worries At night, he's up sick, worrying that the sacredness of many cultures is being lost, for good reason. Today, nearly 7,000 languages are spoken worldwide. But only about half of them are being taught to children. When language is no longer spoken, it's very difficult for the culture to keep alive its unique wisdom and ways of life. In a time when the world needs all the good ideas we can get, we're quickly losing cultural diversity and the wisdom of differing minds, perspectives, and experiences. I believe that these issues of international economics, politics, religion are highly complicated, and I'm sure that many of us often feel overwhelmed and a bit incapable of having an effect on these trends. But, like many spiritual issues, we can always work in local community and on ourselves. We can always do that. I know a beautiful story, true living story, which has been developing for an entire decade between a father and a son. Daniel is now 14, and over the last 10 years, every night he and his father, David, have been telling a story to each other. The story's not written down, but it is the same story running, expanding and deepening night after night as the father and the son talk. If Daniel, the boy, thinks the story should go in a new direction, he goes that way, and dad's his helper. Together, They're they're on a magical journey of imagination. 
I am sure that many, if not most of you, have friendships, homes, co-workers who engage in some kind of similarly wonderful telling of stories. You may have different shapes and forms of how you tell and listen to your stories, but I'll bet you have ongoing stories with people who matter to you and you matter to them. I think you may do it in springboards. We do it in small group ministries. The beloved community is the place where we have to show care and respect and listen to each other. For cultural survival and growth, we benefit from losing ourselves in dreams and desires with stories about the good, the bad, and the ugly, we can discover and create new worlds within ourselves and each other. Blessings be. Amen. I invite you now, let's let's enter into the sacred practice of prayer together. So blessed to be here today. Mindfully connect with your breath. Invite you to take a breath in and let it out. Breathe in and out. We are so grateful be connected to the miracle of life in body, mind, and soul. As we are mindful of our gratitude this morning, I invite each and every one of you to remember a marvelous experience in your life. Hold it up in your heart for a minute. What was a marvelous experience in your life? captivated your imagination. We pray together, O Spirit of Life, source of many names, that this and many other beloved communities around our globe remain and grow as caring and respectful communities where we can learn from each other's stories We can learn from the sorrow and the fear and the love and the courage shown by stories of the diverse communities of the world. Blessings be. Amen.